talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Propaganda versus the truth. You're with Swedish-British journalist Pella Neuroth-Taylor on today's News Talk, TNT. Yes, hello. Today's talk is about uh, Dag Hammarskjöld, the, the Swedish UN Secretary General who died in 1961. And if you ask, I think I've spoken about this before, and most officials in the UN, they'll say he was the best person uh, they ever had. And the building, the UN building today, is a sort of shrine to the 1950s modernism that was very popular. He was sort of the representative of international corporation man with this snazzy suit. And he's, he's sort of, I guess he would have been called the ultra-globalist today. Um, he was uh, had abstract art in his walls, and he had uh, he was a Swede from a neutral country, and he spoke uh, several languages fluently, and he came to represent, um, as the 1950s wore on, a kind of uh, global world where the decolonized states had uh, more and more power, and he spoke of them as he uh, he was their representative their president almost and of course he was he became very popular with the global south because uh, but at the same time he enormously disappointed the colonial powers britain and france who thought he was okay the french mainly because he spoke fluent french and read french poetry and then the british went along with that because he was an anonymous official who seemed to want to cause no harm and and do what he was told turned out he was quite a strong-willed character and he was he died in a, an air crash in 1961 that's almost uh, that's over 60 years ago and we still don't know how it happened it's sort of like the kennedy assassination uh, it's uh, it's it's a bit of mystery for a lot of people who work in international circles and it's sort of cast a shadow of the united nations ever since now um what happened he was flying down in Africa, Central and Southern Africa, to broker peace um, in the Congo, which had just got its freedom and was divided into countries supported by, or parts of countries, provinces supported by different factions. One faction was supported by the, the Russians and the Egyptians, and another faction was supported by the British, the French, and the Belgians. The southern part was Katanga, uh, which had the mines and provided most of Congo's prosperity. It had a large white population. And what was special about Katanga, the southern province, was that it had the world's best uranium mine. In fact, the uranium from this mine actually supplied the the nuclear um, components of the uh, two atom bombs, the only two atom bombs that have ever been dropped at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And it didn't require much refinement. And for much of the 40s and 50s, most uh, nuclear material came from Shinkolobwe, as this mine was called. But there was also a lot of copper mining and uh, an elegant headquarters in Brussels and London. There were a lot of profits uh, to be made by investing and developing these mines with their experienced white engineering staff. Whereas the rest of Congo was a kind of chaotic mess uh, of savage tribal violence. And... Um, they wanted to get Katanga back, which they ought to do if you if you keep the sort of sanctity of the borders of the large this large country in Africa's center. Whereas the Katingis or the people of the south said, "Well, we don't want to belong to the people up there because they can't run the country." So there was a kind of 
tribalistic overlay because it was a country of many tribes, but also a black-white overlay because the, the blacks were saying, well, the whites want to keep the best part of the Congo for themselves. And Hammarskjöld to, was hated by all sides because he was trying to broker a, a solution in the middle. And he, but he was particularly disliked by the colonialists because he came from a country that hadn't fought in the Second World War and he was a bit anonymous. And he tweaked, tweeted, I'd say, the British at Suez a few years earlier when he supplied UN troops to the Canal Zone, which the British had tried to take over. And um, the the Rhodesian authorities who were under the British uh, said that it was a crash, uh, an accident, hinted that it was an accident. But in, in reality, uh, in books that have been subs published in subsequent decades by investigative journalists, it seems if you go by the witness testimonies of uh, black charcoal kiln workers who were mining or working in the area in the bush and, and tending charcoal kilns, um, there were uh, more than one plane. I mean, the, he had a DC-6 that was flying low and about to land at the place where he was going to have his peace agreement with the Katangis, but there was another plane and it shot it down. So what happened after this bevy of books in 2015 was that the United Nations started up a new inquiry led by a judge from Tanzania, and it's been producing uh, biannual reports ever since. Now, uh, it's, it's increasingly sort of critical, if you read between the lines, of the failure of the British and the Americans to supply all the evidence they had of... Um, there was a, um, two American spy planes on the ground, so they knew all the communications that were going on between Hammerfeld's plane and the control tower, the British control tower. And they would have heard any communications between the plane that shot Hammerfeld's plane down and Hammerfeld's plane itself. And they didn't do that. They said that they lost the documents or they didn't have them. Whereas, whereas the British mysteriously lost their control tower recordings. And it was all, it's all very shady and suspicious. So Othman basically accused the British and Americans of obstruction of justice for not supplying all this information. Um, it's all fading into history now, like the Kennedy assassination. Um, Kennedy incidentally was very close to Hammerfeld. He said he's the great, greatest statesman who ever lived and always supported him through thick and thin, whereas the British and French disliked him. So in a way, Hammerfeld was being pushed in front of Kennedy. Kennedy pushed Hammerfeld in front of him for the Americans' anti-colonial agenda. Um, but uh, Kennedy, of course, was to die two years later uh, in an assassination. Um, but the it's all history now, everything that happened 60 years ago is. So it's it's a pleasure for me to be able to, to welcome onto this show Victor Rosés, who was a young Belgian schoolboy in 1961 who witnessed a lot of the events of this uh, momentous place in Congo in that year, and I think had contact with some of the mercenaries who were said to have carried out this actual assassination. So after the break, we've got Victor Rosés now living in Hong Kong. This is TNT Radio. Talk that matters. For once, we just need to do what's best for this damn country and not what's best for the world. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hi, Victor. Hi. How are you? Yeah, I'm just trying and just listening to what you said about uh, Mr. Derek Hagemarschild. I'll cut to the chase. Do you think it was an accident or was it uh, an assassination? 
No, absolutely no accident. It was uh, a premeditated assassination. assassination. Tell us what you saw and heard, because you were on the ground there and you knew a lot of the pilots and mercenaries who were, who was accused later of, of flying the planes that shot down Hammarfjell's plane. Because you were, tell, tell us where what you saw and where where you were. Well, in that time, when uh, after the, after that the plane crashed in Dola, in northern Rhodesia. Uh, I had friends in the police station of uh, Nola, and one day I was invited by one of the officers there, and they showed me uh, fatigues or uniforms that uh, that mercenaries left behind and went away uh, in civilian clothes the night that the plane crashed. But there was something very strange on those uniforms. They were not classic uh, Belgium or Katangese. They were they were like the uniforms the French wear in Algeria and in the China. So and there was a presence. There was a presence of French military uh, on the crash site. Uh, during the night, long time before the aircraft was discovered by the Rhodesian authorities. What time did these mercenaries arrive at the crash site? And what time? Yes. Must be, must be before dawn. And did they coordinate with, well, who shot down? Was it a plane that shot down Hammerfeld's plane or, or what happened that caused the crash? Well, that's not, until yet, it's not clear. It's not clear, but witnesses, witnesses saw uh, on several places that uh, there was a presence of a second airplane in the area and even firing at the Albertina uh, and uh, causing, causing, causing the crash of the, the, the airplane. You knew a lot of, you were a young schoolboy, or 17 or something, in 1961, yes. and you were very interested in technology, and you hung out with a lot of uh, mercenaries working for Katanga. Tell us a little bit about them and who they were and, and how it felt to be with them. Well, there were several groups. There were British or, or English-spoken uh, mercenaries coming from Rhodesia and South Africa, one side. There was a Belgian group and there was a French group. Uh, they they didn't agree. They didn't agree with each other. They 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 lived separately. Did did they dislike? What were their feelings about Hammerfeld? Well, I remember that they were oh, oh, 
they were they had practice on their heads uh, if you for example uh, Connor O'Brien uh, and tumbling uh there was a premium of 1 million belgian francs if you could kill them and also that gamasol was on that list it was a, an anonymous list uh, circulating in elizabethville do you think they got that money so, uh i don't know i don't know but i i have a friend uh nigel osborne he's on facebook He is a survivor. He is uh, in the 80s, and uh, he got a uh, direct uh, proposition to do something with uh, uh, at least Tumbling and uh, O'Brien, and the proposition was also one million. He is still a living uh, witness. He is on Facebook. His name is. Uh, Uh, Nigel Osborne. What? Why was Hamafeld a threat? Friend of mine. He, he belonged. He belonged to the first group of mercenaries called the called the Company International. Okay. What was the um? What? Why was Hamafeld a, a, a dangerous? Why did they want to? Why was there a price on his head? Uh, because uh, because of the situation uh, he created maybe not him but uh, his uh, executors executives uh, they they created a lot of the united nations organization created a lot a lot of problems in in katanga there was the baluba campment uh there there was the infiltration of uh, of the central government troops and the united nations took party for the central government while well that was not allowed that was a pure internal question but uh, and i'm not talking about dagamasrod but i'm more talking about uh, o'brien and uh, army commanders they they did different things than uh, Oh, uh, that Amasho wanted. So the the UN was based in had uh, uh, troops in Katanga, and they were taking too much control of the situation, and and that was disliked by the the whites and the mercenaries. Is that right? Yes, and but si situations that were not allowed by the by the. Uh, by the United Nations uh, uh, decisions, right? So they went beyond their um, the, the resolution. They they went too far. Yeah, there was the resolutions are very clear, and uh, no intervention, no intervention in uh, intern matters. and the interpretation the interpretation of the resolution uh changed in their minds 
Do you, do you think Hammerfeld was a direct victim or was he an incidental victim of, of the, this dislike of the UN making its, no, taking too no. much power in Katanga? There was also a matter, it's also a matter of, uh, of financial, uh, financial things, uh, uh, production of copper and cobalt of, of, uh, of Katanga. Uh, was not uh, was not uh, pleased by neither Kennedy neither neither Dagamashel because they were owners of uh, parts of uh, other copper mines in the world. Do you think um, the who gave the orders? I mean, was it? Um, the mercenaries who decided it was it the the mining companies that didn't want to give their mines away to the new black Congo was it the British government who disliked Hammerfeld was it the French or the Belgians it's I, all these possibilities have no. been uh, discussed I think it were it, I think it were the French together together with the powerful Lumière. oh okay and and not 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 the British. Okay. Do you think the orders came I'm from the Elysee Palace? Palace? What? Do you think the orders came from the Elysee? Uh, I I think from the the. Uh, Secret services of France. Because the, the French killed some African leaders, I know. I think someone in Kangaroo, Cameroon and in Togo and places like that, because they wanted to control. They had a large empire in French Africa, which they treated as their own country, basically. And um, I think there was someone in Burundi as well. I, I can't remember the de details. A guy called Olympio. Do, do you know about this? So that would make sense. Yes, it's, yes, it, it's their presence. Their presence was everywhere. Also, also in uh, they they operated from Congo Brazzaville. There they had their uh, headquarters. What um, can you describe? Can can you describe the perspective of the white colonialists? I mean, I can understand that they didn't want to have the chaos of uh, the rest of Congo. Is that a good reason to not want to reintegrate Katanga? Well, the most most of the settlers they sympathized with the mercenaries. They they were massively against the presence of the United Nations. I mean, the military of the United Nations. Right. I think uh, what's incredibly interesting is that what you've described is a sort of uh, a world that is a, a lost world now of the 19, early 1960s when people looked and wore different things and and people's perspectives were different. So I'd like to uh, yeah. thank you very, very much for your time, and I uh, hope we can discuss these things further, Victor. Point. Yes. The last point. 
that uh, uh, the same day, the same day on uh, on uh, September 17th, on early in the morning at six o'clock in the morning, I saw personally I saw uh, an aircraft, a DC-6, uh, fl- flying over the place where where we lived, and I took a shot on it. And later I discovered that that aircraft was the Albertina, and I wow. with with uh, yeah it was a it was a uh, and I didn't miss the target because uh, uh, there was a hole in the exhaust pipe of the one of the motors. So in a way, you so had a, you is, you, uh, you took a part. This yeah, this is a following me since that time until now. But well, because I didn't know until until a few years ago that uh, that morning that Albertina was also in Elizabethville, and from there on his way to Leopoldville to take uh, the Secretary General. Okay. Uh, Victor, thank you very much. Uh, we'll get back to you another time. And uh, this is TNT Radio. Thank you very much. TNT's Darren Denslow. Yeah, I'm talking about the illness. Actually, that has done has been doing the rounds. Not have we only seen a, uh, a mass influx of people waving their COVID tests online. Look, I got a red line. It's like, oh my God, people are testing. Or people, you know, trying to encourage others to wear their masks. Um, but there has been a talk of a dry cough. There have been doctors coming out saying we've seen loads of cases of that. Uh, have you been suffering from, you know, a bit of cough and flu or cold or COVID? Well, Darren, I, COVID. I, I just I just did my eighth test. Oh, and okay. um, I, I'm just going to keep doing it until I get lines and lines. Why? Well, because work's coming back up, isn't it? Digging deeper with D.D. Denslow on today's News Talk. TNT. I was such a young age. Everything changed. My name is Chloe. When I was 13, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. When I found out, I just didn't know how to react. I felt like everything was just kind of closing in on me. It just became a routine. Dad's doing chemo. I'd come home from school, wait for mum to finish work, and we'd go straight to the hospital, spend a few hours there, just draw. It was hard to navigate going to school. Hundreds of kids and I was the only one with a dying dad. He was diagnosed in March and then he died in October. Towards the end, I heard about canteen. It kind of felt nice to know that they had other people like me. They understood what I was going through and we didn't even have to chat about cancer. In 2020, I became a youth ambassador so I can help others the way they helped me. I've done so many things since I was 13. I've graduated high school, university, gotten my licence, made a move across the country. Life now is just a whole lot more fun. Please give a gift today to support more young people like me experiencing cancer. People might tell you that Lyme doesn't kill people, but we are losing people. People disappear from their lives. One of the scariest things that I had to deal with was uh, memory loss. Not just like, I don't remember what I did last week, but like, I forgot all the words to my own songs. I remember going to my primary care physician and he was like, you are 100% healthy, there's nothing wrong with you. And my response was, that's impossible, I'm dying. 
I wasn't working. So I had all of these hospital bills. We had to move out of our home and move into my parents' basement. I just wish I could have truly been present in those big moments, you know, when she took her first steps or, you know, her first day of preschool. Lyme is such a thief and it goes undetected because no one is looking for it. For more information and prevention tips, go to projectlime.org. So many people who had no history of heart illnesses have got it now, or blood clotting after the COVID-19 vaccination. Punish those who hurt people with COVID madness. Lighting the fuse for freedom. TNT Radio. Hi, this is Aunt Felgera. Thank you very much for joining us. A dissident Norwegian journalist with decades of experience uh, exposing uh, the uh, hypocrisies and lies of even a democracy like Norway. Do you, do you remember Dog Hammerfeld's aunt? Uh, no. Actually, no. Dog Hammerfeld? Yeah. No, 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 no. Sorry. Oh, okay. Do you, because you're of that age, maybe, but, and Norway, of course, is very close to Sweden in terms of its yeah. foreign policy and understanding. Yeah. But uh, tell us what you, you've been uh, bombarding me with articles about the, the lack of, um, some of the problems with the Norwegian democracy, Norwegian freedom. And uh, although it comes top on international indexes of for freedom and democracy, you'd think that there are some dark sides to Norway. Can, can you tell us about them? Yeah, there's many dark sides. Yeah, uh, Norway is uh, numerically a democracy, but uh, I think that Norway is the most conform and politically correct of the Western countries. There is no real... Uh, political opposition in this country. Uh, in Sweden, you have the Sverige Demokraterna, which is, is an alternative and have, have an alternative view of, of reality, but in Norway, no. It's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a state without uh, a critical opinion, I think. And myself, you know, I, I was working uh, with the Norwegian Broadcasting Corporation for some years and then for the uh, National News Agency, NTV. And, um, and uh, when I got, uh, when I got pensioned, I, I, start, I started writing from my heart. And it worked for some years. But uh, today I'm, I'm uh, boycotted by the, 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 the MS, MS, MSM media, the MSM, the mainstream media. So uh, I, I have, <laughs> I have e even written books, but uh, there's, no, there, there's no one wanting to publish because it, I think it's too touchy. What are the topics of your books? No, I write. Uh, I, I I wrote an uh, an a a novel of uh, which is called the the um, the dog murderer. But it's about the uh, the uh, the uh, the political correctness in the Norwegian society. And uh, I had to I had to pay the, uh, the the publishing myself, but it was boycotted by the uh, by the by the media. So <laughs> uh, I thought it was quite good. I I I thought of writing something like you know uh, the 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 Don Quixote of Cervantes in a in a modern Norwegian setting. 
And what windmills are you fighting against then? No, it's the political correctness in the in the media in the uh, in the book business. It's 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 everywhere. So, uh, but I I write for uh, for some of the alternative media, and that's okay. How would you? So you saying when it's most political correct society in the Western world, what? Can you give some example of, of how it's more politically correct that you can't do something in Norway that you could do in, let's say, the United States? Uh, yeah, you can. You can. You, you you have freedom of expression, but you must have a media uh, to, to 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 get it out. And there's no there's a, there's two or three alternative medias, but they are very marginal. There's maybe uh, they have a uh, yeah, some some thousand followers, but uh, most of the people in Norway they don't know these alternative media, and if they if they know it, you know the common man, if he, if if he knows it, he uh, he will he will uh, you know he will uh, push it push it away and say this is crazy. But but if you have you you I think you have the highest standard of living in the world. So maybe you know don't need free speech. You can, uh, that's, you that's, can just. Uh, I think you have a good point there because the uh, the standard of living is very high and uh, and uh, uh, you know then most people they don't bother about politics. It's no. <laughs> so uh, I think that's uh, a, a very good explanation. When you are going to explain the conformity, it's uh, you know the standard of living. It's a very important uh, uh, point. Don't people earn their money from the state? I mean, there's a lot of state control, which means it's it's difficult. I find there's a little bit like that in Sweden as well. People are so embedded yeah. into the system that they they lose a job if they speak out. They'll have a black mark against their names. You know the 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 um, uh, the, uh, the Norway uh, compared to the population, it's, it has the uh, the uh, the the largest uh, state. Uh, um, employed in the world, I think the 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 Norwegians, the Norwegians, uh, the Norwegian uh, state budget, it's three times as big as large as the Swedish. And Sweden have ten million inhabitants. No, we have five million. And uh, uh, the state is the uh, is the uh, largest employer in in, in Norway. And do you think that makes a difference to people's freedom? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, most of the, the the people working for the state uh, and the uh, smaller communities, commune uh, as we call them, they uh, mostly they are left oriented. They uh, vote for the Labour Party and for the uh, for the uh, socialist left party. And we even have we even have a revolutionary socialist party uh, called Red, but they have in a way modified their uh, their revolutionary uh, revolution uh, revolutionary um, uh, program. So today maybe they yeah they they say they are working for the socialist revolution, but that's just uh, words. But I mean, you're older than me. Uh, I used to. Um... 
you know, you read and talk to Americans, for instance, who think that uh, Scandinavia is practically communist, you know, but I mean, there was a huge difference between the Soviet Union and Scandinavia. I mean, Scandinavia is uh, relatively free or you could do what you want. You could travel very, very high standard of living and so on. And um, so we have to be, we have to get it right somehow. I mean, I'm also a dissident as it were. I've, I've also been very critical of Sweden and, and Scandinavia and that comfort, but you know, it's not the Soviet Union and uh, it's not communist. It's people that don't get thrown into jail or do they? No, you in Norway and Sweden, you have formal, uh, formal, uh, 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 freedom of expression uh, and so on. So you can't compare Norway with the Soviet Union. But uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, you know, in a way, uh, in Norway, you have a, a, a it's a very conformed society, very conformed state. But in Norway, the majority of the people they vote for it. They think it's it's okay. So. Uh, you know, you don't need. Uh, uh, you know, you don't need to psychiatric clinics. You don't need uh, neck shots. You don't need prisons like and 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 working. Uh, uh, you like they have in Soviet Union. In Norway, it's uh, people. They they have chosen it, so they think it's all right. It's uh, <laughs> they're happy slaves or something. They're happy slaves. Yeah. I guess this doesn't make you very popular, does it, to say that? <laughs> no. no, you can't use that expression. Then you are, uh, you know, you are banned in a way. How could Norway be made a better place? Because you've got all this oil money now, hundreds, of, and now, of course, because of the gas from Russia has been shut off, you're very, very prosperous uh, from selling expensive gas to other countries. Yeah, you know, the Norwegian states, they, uh, they have so much money. They don't, they don't uh, know how to, to use it, where to use it. But they, uh, you know, they have a big uh, 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 programs. Uh, you know, they're paying a lot of money to, to, the, to developing countries. And uh, they're even paying mil billions of, of kroner to save the, uh, the uh, Amazonas jungle. And the New Guinea jungle and so on. So, uh, and that, that's that's one of the uh, that's that's a thing which uh, uh, quite a lot of people are complaining uh, uh, complaining about because they say no, the Norwegian state they use money um, uh, in in uh, uh, yeah abroad and not in Norway. I'll, we'll continue after the break. This is TNT Radio. Now, TNT Radio News. Show them how it's done. Let's go. I, I got news for you. Yeah. News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Pakistan has fired a barrage of missiles into Iran in response to an Iranian missile strike earlier this week. The US has carried out renewed airstrikes on Houthi sites in Yemen. The director of the World Health Organization has admitted the agency was preparing for a new coronavirus before COVID-19 arrived. And the family of an autistic woman killed by an illegal immigrant in the US is now suing the Biden administration for $100 million. We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah. 
365. We never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth, from government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. So this is Aunt Folgere from Norway complaining for, about the lack of freedom in Norway. Um, where, how could uh, well? What is your prescription for a better Norway? Then I mean, you've got, as I said, you've got hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars. You 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 you've got this money that you don't know what to spend it on. So you spend it on a, on many projects in the in the developing world. Yeah. What should what should be done with the Norwegian money? <laughs> Well, it's a good question. They could uh, they could build uh, so-called infrastructure. You know, uh, the Norwegian uh, railway goes from Oslo to Bodø, and that's uh, you know, then you are halfway to uh, to to Nordkamp. They could build the railway to Finnmark. They could uh, build better roads. They could uh, yeah, they could they could use the uh, they could use their money alternatively, but uh, but uh, it's okay. You know, the Norwegian state is so rich, uh, getting paid for all this oil. They export oil and they export gas to Germany, Holland, Netherlands, even Britain. So, uh, so the problem, in a way, is that the Norwegian state has too much money, and actually, and and. And and they can use they, they can't use uh, so much money in the interior because then you have inflation, and then the economy say oh oh can't use that much money in 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 because it could create inflation, prices going up and so on. So it's quite a dilemma in a way, but um, uh, the only way of of of, of solving. <laughs> <laughs> solving the question, it's it's to have a um, a uh, a an, a, polit- a political opposition party, but there is no one. In Sweden, you have this, the, 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 the 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 Swedish Democrats. In uh, France, you have uh, Marie Le Pen, and in Germany, you have alternative for Deutschland. But in Norway, it's nothing. Absolutely, you had nothing. the F- FRP, didn't you? The the Framstreets, the the Progress Party, it's called in English, I yeah, think, isn't it? Yeah, but the Framstix Party, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, they are representing the establishment. They are, they are, in a way, political harmless. So out of this uh, very prosperous, very politically inert, happy slave country of politically correct, and very feminist country as well, I mean, do, don't you have yeah, quotas? Right, or right yeah. and all that. Out of nowhere, or seemingly nowhere, comes Breivik, this this guy who shot, was it 70 young socialists at a summer camp with an automatic rifle and uh, is sitting in jail. He'd, can you tell us a little bit about him for, for viewers that don't know about him and, and what the effects yeah. have been for Norway? You know, uh, there was he was, uh, he was uh, sentenced for life in prison. And um, uh, the question was, was he crazy or was he mentally uh, uh, fresh or okay? 
but he 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 was uh, defined as mentally fresh, and that's what that's why he was jailed. But uh, he, he he killed uh, I think he killed seventy eight people. In the um, you know he was there was the the um, the youth of the Arbeda party. The, they had a gathering, uh, uh, and he and and the gathering is held at a at a, a tiny island, and he. Um, he, uh, he 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 turned up and he was uh, he had a police uniform and he um, was uh, brought by a, a boat out to the island and he, uh, he said I'm from the police because he wanted you know people not to flee and then the, he started the shooting and uh, he, he he shot about uh, seventy persons before the uh, real police turned up. And it was, you know, it it, it created a, it created created a a a, a, a very, uh, you know, a, a, he 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 was <laughs> when he is in a way uh, he is in a way uh, when you talk about criticism and and and, and critical uh, uh, critical politics, he he's in a way. He is, um, he is he is he is taught to be an ally of criticism, but he was uh, he was no he he, he was, I, I don't think he was uh, any critical person. He was, in my opinion, it's crazy. Because but, didn't he uh, write a, a program, a, a, a crusade program? I mean, didn't he base some of his writings on the immigration critical yeah, blogs that appeared? That's right. That's right. And he, he he said that he was attacking the poli the politics of the uh, the uh, Labour Party. So uh, so, uh, but uh, <laughs> you know it's 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 quite uh, impossible to criticize the uh, the uh, the uh, immigration uh, policy and the asylum uh, policy uh, because when you when you make such criticism, you are in a way uh, seen as an ally of uh, Bering Bravin. So it, it, he made, in a way, criticism uh, impossible. That's right. And that's very bad, you know. So what you're saying is, if you criticize immigration in Scandinavia, you want to murder people like Breivik did. Yeah. So he's used as a yeah. tool of the pro yeah. Yeah, by right. the globalists, if you like. It's very simply said, but I, I think that's a uh, that's what it is. Yes. Um, what what's the immigration situation in in Norway? Because I I went there, I've been there a few times in the last two years, and it's uh, like a less much less spoilt version of Sweden. I'd say. I mean, much cleaner, richer, whatever. And yeah, I think uh, uh, there's. Uh, there is not, uh, there's not so many immigrants and uh, asylum uh, asylum uh, seekers in Norway as in Sweden, uh, but it, uh, Norway is closing the gap. So I, today, I think it's uh, about twenty percent of the population in Norway is uh, is uh, from abroad. Most we'll talk most a little bit more about. Are, 
We'll talk about immigration after the break. This is TNT Radio. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Well, Hanoi Jane is at it again. My buddy Mark Morano mailed me this because he knows that I try to keep my blood pressure low and he believes I need a little extra stress in my life. So he mails me stuff like this and naturally I share it with you. These are some quotes from an article that Jane Fonda is involved in about the planet can't have healthy people if it's sick. So now the planet is actually some kind of breathing organism, I guess. Bad enough they tried to make it a god, but at least I thought, well, it's probably one of those gods, you know, false idols you make out of gold or silver or whatever. But no, 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 no. It's a living, breathing system. So anyway, our healthcare system is responsible for 9% of the country's greenhouse gas emissions because the system's reliance on fossil fuels to run its facilities and equipment. Now let's break this down. Men, human beings, have put in 5% of the total amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, which is 0.042%. And so the healthcare system's responsible for 9% of 5% times 0.042%. So what we've got to do is shut down the healthcare system because of that 9%, and that's only the United States, and then everything will be fine. Climate smart healthcare is preventive medicine on a grand scale. Think about it. We can't have healthy people on a sick planet. You know something? If you want to look at sickness and define sickness, you just heard some quotes from it. This is TNT Club. This is unbelievable. TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog Meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. The challenges our planet's animals are facing sometimes feel a bit heavy. The animals haven't eaten in a day, two days. They haven't drank anything. They're cold, they're dehydrated. As soon as we started our descent, everywhere I could see was mud. Just absolutely mud. You know, the country has been long for drought so long. It was like a tinderbox waiting to go up. Okay, very heavy. Each of us wants to be part of the solution. And we can be. Remember that there's good happening right now. At home. All right, we were able to get into the unit and we have all four of your cats. So, uh... Uh, okay. And around the world. For any animal in any disaster. So let's focus on that, right? Be part of the solution. One rescue at a time. Search ifa.org forward slash disaster ready. Discussing the politics of the new European populism, Pella Neuroth Taylor, on today's News Talk, TNT. Yes, hello. I'm with a Norwegian retired journalist, Aunt Folgere, who will tell us a little bit about Norway and uh, the most politically correct world, a country on the planet, and also uh, perhaps the richest. Um, you've got some asylum seekers and not so much of a problem there but no populist party strangely enough probably because of the wealth um what what about the the feminism issue because um you've got these compulsory board quotas don't you for for women in top positions right how how has that worked out no you know the um as you said, it's 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 uh, uh, it's uh, you the 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 feminine the feminine representation is uh, is uh, 
is made in the in the uh, in the uh, public or the state and the community sector, but also in the, in the in private enterprises. I think there is a um, law telling that uh, forty percent of uh, uh, of the boards in the private enterprises should be women, and it's uh, I, I I think there's plan to uh, to uh, to make it fifty. Fifty. Uh, and and you see uh, when you when you when you see look at television you hear radio it's more and more women uh, who is uh, who is uh, talking and, and and who is uh, who is experts in yeah almost everything so uh, so uh, if you if you if you follow Norwegian television or radio you should you should you could believe that. Uh, the uh, women represents about eighty uh, percent of the Norwegian population. <laughs> it's 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 strange, but uh, uh, to understand Norway, you have to you have to know something about the Norwegian uh, uh, history after the Second World War, because uh, like Sweden, Norway and Sweden, they had social democratic uh, uh, govern governments or, or yeah, and. In Norway, the, you had um, they was in a way uh, imaging, or they were they were making five years economic plans like in in uh, the Stalin Soviet Union, and it endured uh, in the fifties. Uh, so uh, the Norwegian, the, the, you know, and today Norwegian, the the, the state is the um, is the. Uh, Largest owner of of of, uh, of industry or in Norway, the um, the Norwegian oil company is state-owned, but uh, they have let uh, some private interest in. So I think that the Norwegian state owns about uh, I'm not sure, but seventy percent of the shares in uh, in uh, in uh, in the state oil company, and uh, the largest uh, bank in Norway. Um, uh, the Norske Bank, the Norwegian Bank, is also owned by the state. So the state is everywhere, everywhere in the in the business world. In you know, it's it's it's, it's it, it, Norway is a state-owned society in a way. But yeah. um, you know, uh, uh, when the socialists uh, came to power after the World War. Uh, after the Second World War, they had a program. They wanted to make Norway as a socialist uh, society, and they did it uh, economically, but also in the education system, because they thought that education should be free for everyone, and they used the education system to to uh, have uh, social and economic equality, and you know. <laughs> How can you use the education system to create equality? It's uh, it's a very risky business, and uh, and the consequences was that uh, that the Norwegian education system today it's almost destroyed. There is there is chaos. No, you know it's it's absolute chaos, and uh, the Norwegian uh, primary school it's 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 it's, it's it reminds me of the American woke uh, uh, university. System. Is it similar? Where no one, one, uh, no one should, no one uh, should be suppressed. Everybody and a pupil is regarded as a victim. 
and so on. So uh, I wrote an article article about it uh, some uh, some days ago. So uh, uh, and <laughs> and it was based uh, uh, on a book written by John Husta. He died uh, last year, but he was the only critical journalist in the Norwegian MSM. And he wrote the book about the Norwegian education system in 2002. And it's more actual today than it was then. But uh, uh, I think I have to tell you something about myself too, because when I talk, you should think that I'm an, uh, a, 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 a right-wing extremist, but I'm not. I'm, I'm a proletarian. I, <laughs> when I was young, I went to sea as a sailor. And um, when I came back, I worked uh, many years as, uh, you know, as a truck driver, industrial uh, worker, and I, I did uh, many years as, a, as an industrial painter, very hardworking. And, uh, but then I was let into the Norwegian um, journalist school. And that's how my, my uh, journalist career started. And I was let in because I had such a, you know, practical experience. But you're old left, aren't you? I mean, the the old proletariat. I mean, what do you think of I'm, Trump? Trump appeals to yeah. the old, to the working yeah, class. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, yeah, yeah, I, I'm a Trump fan. Sure, I am. But uh, yeah, and he is challenge, challenging the establishment uh, in a maybe <laughs> not in a very. Uh, reasonable way but uh, yeah i i i i i prefer trump i do what what does the norwegian media think of trump versus biden they think trump is crazy they think uh, you know if you if you say you favor trump or like trump you are regarded as a uh, lunatic it's, uh, <laughs> so it's it, you know it the the media in norway has created the trump like uh, a devil Maybe a devil in some disguise, but he, he is considered to be the, the devil himself. So, <laughs> so it's quite crazy. Well, and it what is. about Biden? Because, I mean, Biden's weaknesses can't be hidden. I mean, he's an old man going senile. But do they cover that up? Do they, do they favor him? No, no. They, there's, there's little stuff about Biden in the Norwegian media. So, uh, but... Uh, I think most people they regard Biden as uh, as the rational man, the rational politician. But uh, but uh, you can question that, sure. So, do you think America, Norway, which has peace and so on, and and uh, lots of oil, would be a better place if it became more American, a low tax, uh, private healthcare, and so on? Just give me a yes or a no, because we've got to wind up this show. No, I, 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 I'm not sure, but I think no. Uh, there, there's some, there's some uh, thing uh, within Norwegian society which I, uh, I favour, but it would, it, it would take too long to, to discuss that. Okay, well, we'll have to talk about it next time because it is a very interesting subject. Thank you very much, Aunt Folger from Norway. This is TNT Radio. Thank you. Mm -hmm.